Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining today's discussion. I'm Ami Copeland, the Executive Director here at Business Forward, and I'll be moderating our conversation today. Currently, all lines are in listen-only mode. We are very pleased to welcome Health and Human Services Secretary Sylvia Burwell. She's here to talk about the current state of, of health care, health insurance costs, and how the public and private sectors can work together to improve cost, the cost and quality of health care. We're also joined by Dr. Mina Seishamani, Director of the Office of Health Reform. For those of you who are new to our programming, Business Forward organizes local roundtables, Washington fly-ins, conference calls, webinars, and media trainings for tens of thousands of business leaders from across America. At these briefings, entrepreneurs, investors, small business owners, and executives get the chance to brief policymakers on issues affecting their businesses, how to create jobs, and how Washington can work with the private sector to accelerate our economy. To date, more than 450 senior administration officials, members of Congress, governors, and mayors have participated in our programming. This is all thanks to the support of more than 50 of America's largest and most respected companies. Before we get started, I'd like to go over a few housekeeping items. First, this discussion is not intended for press purposes. Second, there will be time for you to ask questions and share your advice. You can do this in one of two ways. You can press 1 at any time to ask your question live, or you can email info at businessfwd.org. We'd like to get in as many questions as we can, so again, just a reminder, you can press 1 to ask your question live, or you can send your question via email to info at businessfwd.org, and we'll add it to the queue. Okay, now let's get started. Please welcome Secretary Sylvia Burwell. Thank you so much, Ami, and I want to thank you and your team at Business Forward for pulling folks together today, and uh, also thank everyone who's joined the call today. Business leaders like you have been our partners in so much of our work at HHS, from breakthroughs in science and technology, to helping Americans live healthier lives, to helping our nation bring the rate of uninsured to the lowest level in history. And growing up, I learned about running a small business from watching my papu, that's Greek for grandfather, a Greek immigrant. He decided to open a classic diner. We were Greek. And in the American tradition, named it after him, himself. His name was Dionysius, so he used the English translation and called it Denny's. Yes, my grandfather founded Denny's, but not the Denny's. It was a Denny's. And I was able to watch him every morning and every night as I grew up and visited and see him open in the early in the morning and close in the evening, tired but happy. And Denny's was a, a labor of love, and I know it's something that you all know about uh, in terms of working to create it. Uh, it was something that paid the bills, but it was really more than that in terms of his contribution to his community. And I know what your businesses mean to your neighbors, and I want to thank you for the work that you do to support your communities across this country and throughout our entire economy. You all have been our partners on many important efforts, but you have been essential in our work to create more access to affordable quality health care. And thanks to the Affordable Care Act and your support, 20 million Americans now are covered. Families across the country, no matter where they get insurance, can now get free preventative care. They're protected from lifetime caps, and they can't be discriminated against just because they have pre-existing conditions, which means that families can rest a little easier knowing that they're covered, 
and it means a healthier workforce. It means an entrepreneur today can take a leap towards a big idea and still find health insurance options on the marketplace. But we know that despite our considerable progress, there is still much work to do to make sure that the environment is right for businesses like yours to succeed. And we know that one of the big challenges for businesses is balancing the ability to offer competitive benefits like health care with their cost. But we're making progress, and the average premium for employer-sponsored family coverage rose just 4.2% in 2015, and that's far below the 7.9% average rate we saw from 20, 2000 through 2010. And when you look back to 1999, four of the five slowest years in healthcare cost growth have been these past four years, thanks in part to the changes put in place through the ACA. We're also taking steps to build on the progress of the last six years. And thanks to new tools from the ACA, which Congress strengthened with bipartisan legislation last year, we're changing our system so that it puts people at the center of their care to work better for everyone. We're working toward a system with better care where doctors coordinate and have a full understanding of their patients' needs, one that's smarter, where we pay for what works and we spend our money more wisely, and one that's healthier, with engaged and empowered patients who lift up the health of our whole country. This better healthcare system is built on a foundation of data, and we're committed to keeping that foundation safe and secure from cyber threats. The Cybersecurity Information Sharing Act of 2015 gives us new tools to do this. It's provided us the opportunity to form a healthcare industry cybersecurity task force where leaders from across industries and around the country are sharing the best ideas to make our healthcare data and life-saving medical devices more secure. Transforming our healthcare system is a big job, and we know we can't do this alone. And there are a few areas where we need your help and continue to need your help. First, if you're a small business owner, please look at SHOP where we started to bring some more choice and competition to the small group market. For many employers, tax credits are now available for up to 50% of the employer's contribution to premium costs, and coverage through a shop is generally available throughout the year. Second, if you can help us reach your customers who need health care. During the upcoming open enrollment starting in November, you could host enrollment events or let your networks know about healthcare.gov and the deadlines for signing up. Our regional offices are here to support you in that work. And finally, cybersecurity, as I mentioned before, it depends on all of us working together. As business owners, you need to make sure you are protected. Evaluate the steps you're taking to safeguard sensitive data and share your best ideas with each other and then take the time to learn about the threats posed by data theft, malware, and ransomware. On behalf of our team here at HHS and all, that we, all those that we serve, we want to thank you for your partnership. Thank you for working with us to make our economy and our entire society stronger. With that, I'm happy to take a couple of questions, Tommy. Great. Thank you, Secretary. Um, now we'll open it up to your questions and comments. Again, if you have a question, please press 1 to ask your question live on the call, or you can email your question to info at businessfwd.org. Um, as the queue is Rose here. Um, we're going to take a couple questions that were submitted online first. And the first question is from Barbara Miller in Newport News, Virginia. And the question is, uh, the ACA has, has been in effect for several years now. How do you see, see it evolving and changing in the future? 
Uh, Barbara, thanks so much uh, for the question. In terms of sort of where we were, where we are, and where we're going, um, sort of your question is a lot about how I think about our work. And in terms of where we've been, it's about three fundamental issues, access, affordability, and quality. On access, where we have been is that 20 million reduction in uninsured has been a historic step forward, but we need to and want to do more. And that has a couple elements to it as we go towards the future. One, making sure that we reach those uninsured uh, that are out there and also continuing to work on affordability because that's part of reaching those um, uninsured. And we know for businesses like you're all represented on this call that that's a very important part. Also expansion of Medicaid is another part of continuing to uh, make that uninsured number go down. And finally, make sure we keep growing the economy because it's great when people get their coverage because they have um, care through their employer. Second, with regard to the issue of affordability, this is something we want to continue to work on. Uh, what we've seen in terms of in the marketplace itself for individuals, most could find a plan last year of $75 or less in premiums with the advanced premium tax credit with the tax help they get. In terms of the broader employee market, as we discussed before, while we're still seeing growth in premiums, it's smaller than it historically was. And finally, when you think about affordability, thinking about the taxpayer, thinking about the importance of Medicare. And uh, when we look at that period of the Medicare spending up through 2009 and what it's projected in that point in time to continue being, since that time and since the passage of the Affordable Care Act, we've actually seen $473 billion in Medicare savings, and that's savings affordability for the taxpayer. Finally, with quality in terms of where we are and where we're going to go forward, on the quality front, uh, where we have been is we are now in a place where pre-existing conditions don't keep you out. Many of your preventative services are for free. There are no annual limits or lifetime limits. And for affordability and quality, we need to bear down and make more progress. That's about changing the system so that we can pay for value, not volume of transactions, making sure that care is coordinated and focuses on prevention and wellness and using data and information. Those are some of the steps as we go forward. Wonderful. Thank you, Secretary. And we have another question submitted online from Jeff Hyman in uh, Chicago, Illinois with Connected Health. The question is, how do you see the exchanges, both private and public, and other expressions of healthcare consumerism impacting the cost curve in healthcare? Uh, Jeff, thank you, because I think your question brings together uh, important elements of the marketplace and important elements to what we refer to as delivery system reform, or this idea of changing our system so that we put the consumer at the center of healthcare in our nation. And the marketplace itself does a number of things to make that happen. And it does it because now in the marketplace, what has changed is the individual market is no longer a place where it is about issuers looking for young, the youngest and the healthiest people. It's actually a place where people can come and issuers are competing on price and quality in terms of when they come in. And part of that is an active, engaged consumer. And in the marketplace, we see that in terms of the number of people who returned last year and shopped. And we also see the benefits of that shopping. We've seen uh, the savings that people are getting through the shopping. So we see that 
uh, taking place in the marketplace in terms of an active, engaged consumer that has tools, whether those are the ability to shop because there's competition uh, and you can't be kept out because of pre-existing conditions or other things that would have limited your ability to shop. There are tools on the marketplace like your ability to uh, try and do your total cost estimation so that you can shop in a more consumer uh, useful way, and also searching for your provider networks and your drug uh, coverage. And so lots of tools in the marketplace, but it goes to the bigger issue we were just talking about before, where you put the consumer at the center of the care. And a lot of that has to do with you're paying for the outcome for the consumer, not for the test. When I say pay for value, not for volume, for quality, not for quantity, that's about getting the consumer at the center. When I mention data and information as an important part of that, one of the most important things we believe is getting consumers and patients their own health information so they can be an integrated part of the process and decision making about their care. And it's also related to prevention and wellness, which often empower a patient or a consumer before they become a patient uh, because they can use the tools and make the decisions to impact their own health. Thank you so, mu so much, Secretary. Uh, we are going to go to a question live now, and I understand that uh, you need to head out, but we have uh, Dr. Amina Seishamani, who will be answering questions from here on forward. So thank you so much for your time, and uh, Doctor, we'll be continuing the call with you. Thank you so much, Ami, and thank you all for joining and your questions and your engagement and interest in these issues. Uh, this is an important time of change in our nation where we are going to get to a different place in terms of quality affordability, and we have made great, great strides in access. We've made progress on the other two, but we are going to make a lot more. And with that, I'll leave you with the capable uh, Dr. Mina. Thank you. Thank you, Secretary. And we'll go live to our next call to the next question, and that is from Michael Jones in Nashville, Tennessee. Michael, your line's open. Uh, thank you, um, uh, Doctor. Thank you for um, being here with us today, and please thank the Secretary. Um, our company does a lot of work with um, uh, wounded warriors and the veterans program. We know that the VA uh, health um, organization, you know, has historically really taking the lead on that. Um, as we move forward, do you see that remaining under the preview of the, the VA or will the, the um, Healthcare Affordability Act uh, somehow weld those together? Uh, should we be thinking about that or do you, do you see for the veterans really the Wounded Warrior Program uh, and those coming back with uh, everything from PTSD to uh, severe um, traumatic uh, injuries uh, staying under the VA? Um, hi, yeah, this is Mina Seishmani, and first, thank you for all you're doing to help people who have served um, our country. Um, in general, I think that we understand and realize that the VA serves a very important purpose for our nation's veterans, and um, will continue to do so. Um, I think certainly you know, as the federal government, there are many ways in which we look to have coordination among the various agencies that are involved in healthcare, from VA to Department of Defense uh, to HHS and Department of Labor, um, and we'll continue to have such um, collaboration and alignment of policies and principles. 
but certainly um, it is important that veterans have the VA to be able to get needed services, um, especially in light of what you mentioned, that there are certain um, issues that uh, are um, more prevalent and pertinent in the veterans population that need to be addressed. Great, thank you. Uh, and our next question is actually submitted online, and this is from Carol Berger in California. Uh, it's, what are your thoughts with regard to the recent closures of rural hospitals and access to health care in rural areas? And um, thank you. Yeah, thank you for that question. I mean, certainly, um, you know, there. Rural health care has definitely been a particular interest of our department and for our secretary who grew up in a rural area. There certainly were various provisions in the Affordable Care Act in particular to try to improve um, funding of health care to rural areas. And as we look at new um, avenues in delivery system reform, such as um, telehealth uh, and having better coordination of, of care, um, providing grants for practices to improve their infrastructure. There are certainly several opportunities that we're looking towards to um, better improve the health care uh, in rural areas, including funding community health centers, National Health Service Corps, et cetera. And so that is an area that will be of continued focus for the department. Wonderful. Thank you. And we're going to go live to our next caller, caller and this is Bonita Webster in Indiana. Bonita, your line's open. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate being invited to this forum. Um, my, uh, I am from Indian Medical Supplies, which is an uh, independent, uh, small, durable medical equipment company. My question is, uh, veterans need access to more modern technologies that could improve their quality of life, such as uh, portable oxygen concentrators. Um, are there any initiatives in place to address these issues? As I believe that in the long run, they, they may save the government money and improve the veterans' quality of life. Thank you for your question. Um, for that, I would actually defer to my colleagues at the VA that are um, more directly handling uh, veterans' health care. Great. And just a note for everyone, um, if you have questions that have not we're not answered today, we're not able to get to, uh, we will be following up with you directly and or helping you get connected to the appropriate agencies. Um, for the next caller, uh, we're going to go to Kathleen Mystery. Uh, Kathleen, your line is open. Uh, yes, I'd like to understand better how s smaller companies um, can get advice on when to add different types of insurances according to the growth of the company. Thank you. Um, thank you for your question. I mean, I, I think that there are various um, associations and organizations that can provide some help with that, such as small business uh, majority. Um, you know, I think from the HHS perspective, you know, we have, the, um, we have our SHOP program that uh, enables selection of various health plans and uh, tax credits for providing businesses, and so that provides an avenue, um, an important avenue to provide um, health benefits to employees. Great, thank you. And our next question is, was submitted online, and the question is, you know, how can startups work more closely with HHS when there are technology, technologies and business models that 
clearly show that they can reduce healthcare costs, uh, costs and outpatient costs. What is the best way for sort of small businesses and startups to work with HHS on this? Um, I think that's a very good question. I think that we're very well aware of the important um, space of uh, the startups and the technologies. Um, one example is the uh, challenge that um, Secretary Burwell just announced at Datapalooza to address the issue of confusing medical billing to have um, design companies, uh, technology companies to partner with our committed partners who are six major healthcare organizations to be able to come up with a better medical bill and better process of billing for uh, the patient experience. That's at abillyoucanunderstand.com. I think that's just one example of how we're trying to harness the power of the small businesses and the startup space. Um, I certainly think that through the CMMI programs and demonstrations, there is a lot of opportunity for organizations that have applied for um, funding through these demonstrations to then work with um, technology companies, et cetera, to try to innovate in how they're providing care and then demonstrate the improvements in quality and reduction in, in cost. And we, you know, that has definitely been going on uh, in the various CMMI demonstrations such as Healthcare Innovation Awards um, and others. So I would certainly encourage continuing working in that space too. Great. We're going to go back to the phones for our next question, and this is from Edward Wallace in Richardson, Texas. Edward, your line is open. Thank you for taking my question. Uh, as a veteran and uh, working with the government in the past, my question is what department in Health and Human Services does a minority veteran-owned small business have to contact uh, to uh, and actually get a reply if you have an innovation that you know that's going to help. Um, thanks. I would um, certainly, you could contact our Idea Lab, which um, handles a lot of our uh, work with entrepreneurs in uh, the innovation space, the HHS Idea Lab. Great, and we'll be sending out, again, we'll be sending out that information at the end of this call to anyone who RSVP for this. Uh, our next question comes from um, Haiti uh, in Stanford, Connecticut. And the question is, doctors increasingly do not t take patients on Medicaid. Um, did I hear correctly that you're trying to extend Medicaid? If so, it does not guarantee health care or quality health care. What are you trying to do to get doctors to work more with Medicaid patients? Thank you for that question. A few things. Um, first, uh, in the President's budget, we proposed to extend the bump in primary care payments uh, in Medicaid uh, to match Medicare. Second, um, there's been a lot of innovation in the Medicaid area with state innovation models. Um, and other such grants to try to encourage more innovative practices in Medicaid, which can certainly help in terms of physicians feeling like they can kind of take more charge and have more flexibility in how they uh, provide medicine, and also funding to help encourage, um, to help invest in better infrastructure, et cetera. So there are various um, avenues at play there to try to address uh, this issue. Great, and for our next question, we're going to go to Charles um, here in Washington, D.C. Charles, your line is open. 
Yes, uh, actually, you read that uh, my question from the email, um, so oh. I think I'm all set. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. Thank wow, you. that was easy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got a twofer there. Um, we have our next question here from Tammy Martin uh, in Florida. Uh, United Health Group and Humana have announced that they are considering pulling out of the federal exchange. How do you see the public exchanges moving forward with less competition and potentially increasing costs? Um, thank you for your question. Um, actually, I, I think that it's important to note that um, entry and exit in a market is normal, particularly a market that is young. So last year, 39 issuers exited the marketplace, but 40 entered. And certainly, five publicly traded issuers have said that their marketplace business is doing well and they're optimistic for the future. So it can be expected that some issuers may decide that this is not a business venture that they want to be part of, but certainly there are others that are entering or even expanding. And it continues to be a growth opportunity for innovators, because this is a market, it's a huge untapped market of people who oftentimes have not had insurance before, and success sometimes requires a, a different approach. Um, so I think it's important to remember all of that, and we believe that competition is still strong and um, will continue to be strong. Great. Uh, we have another question. This is submitted online from Eugenia Katsigris. Um, while some statistics show that growth in, pre growth in premiums on the exchanges have not been very high, others say that this is not, this is not an apples-to-apples -apples comparison uh, as the networks offered by the policies have shrunk drastically. What is your take on the apples-to-apples -apples comparison of premium growth uh, and what is your take on the shrinkage of networks? Some ma major cancer centers, uh, such as MD Anderson and Houston, are no longer accepting any of the exchange policies. Thank you for the question. Um, a few things. First, I think it's important to remember that the marketplace has network adequacy standards, such that every marketplace plan has to cover essential health benefits, and has to provide access to physicians. There are various um, requirements uh, in that regard. Second, this is a marketplace, and so people do vote with their feet in terms of what kind of plan they want and they're looking for. And so um, compared to broad plans, narrow networks can negotiate better rates with providers and pass savings on to consumers and consumers have increasingly opted for these types of networks. And this has been a trend that has been occurring outside of the marketplace um, as well. And so what, what we feel is the most important in that regard is that people should be able to make choices that are best for them. So we have an out-of-pocket cost calculator on healthcare.gov. We have the doctor lookup tool and the formulary lookup tool so that people can see what plans or what um, providers are in the networks of the different plans so that they can decide what plan makes the most sense for them. In terms of the apples to apples comparison of the health insurance premiums, what we can say is what people actually paid. And so the, for people who had tax credits, their average premium went from $102 to $106 a month, so a $4 increase. Excellent. Thank you. Um, the next question is from Natasha John in Brooklyn, New York. Natasha, your line is open. Thank you so much for taking my question. 
my question is based in managed care. What is the best way to ensure that consumers in HMOs and other managed care plans are treated fairly um, and get proper care? Um, thank you for your question. I think um, states have the primary responsibility for um, regulating their uh, insurance markets, and so if there is any evidence of any um, bad action on the part of any plans, then certainly there are, thanks to the Affordable Care Act, standard appeals processes that need to take place for um, consumers to lodge a complaint. Um, certainly, if we hear of things, um, we oftentimes work with uh, various states and we have our federal regulations in terms of basic consumer protections that have been provided in the Affordable Care Act, um, such as no annual or lifetime limits, um, providing recommended preventive services at no cost sharing, and essential health benefits. Beyond that, we do have all of the various delivery system reform efforts that are occurring within HHS, but also throughout the private sector, where providers um, and plans are being held accountable for cost and quality of care. So you have star ratings for people to use to be able to pick their plans uh, based on quality. You have accountable care organizations and other um, models where providers um, are rewarded if they provide better quality of care. And so certainly these are attempts to, again, encourage transparency and accountability in uh, the provision of health care. Wonderful. Um, we have another question actually submitted from California, from Carol Berger. As we move from volume to, to value-based payment systems, what is being done to harmonize rules and regulations and address the different system requirements that may conflict with each other? Is there a particular agency or entity that is working on this issue? And if so, is there an opportunity to provide feedback to that entity? Yes, I think um, it is, we are very cognizant of the fact that we want to align things um, as much as possible. I would say that that is not only within the federal government, but that is also in working with the private sector. So first, to address the first part of that, of working within the federal government. You know, certainly, just to give an example of the health IT space, um, we have put forward our um, federal HIT strategy since there are health IT, since there are many different um, agencies, HHS, VA, DOD, that are engaging with health IT vendors uh, to have more standard um, requirements for uh, the health IT um, products. That's one example. Certainly, as we are looking at various models, we have to consider things like anti-kickback, Stark rules, et cetera, and uh, HHS works with uh, you know, DOJ as, as needed and as possible with that. Um, in the private sector, we formed the Learning and Action Network, which has, I think, more than 5,000 individuals and more than 600 organizations. And this spans from payers, providers, employers, uh, patient groups, so really bringing together multiple stakeholders to be able to um, set some guidelines as different entities are engaging in delivery system reform and creating different models so that there is some, so that there is alignment, people are learning best practices, diffusing best practices. 
Um, and also in that regard, there's been a lot around quality measures. I think that we have heard loud and clear that you know, various programs all have their own different quality measures. And so one of the things um, that we did was with AHIP uh, work in a core quality collaborative where uh, provider groups, patients, payers, and um, CMS have worked together to create these core um, quality measure sets. So right now I think in about eight uh, specialties. But to have these core measure sets that will be consistent across the various programs so that providers don't feel like they have to submit one set of measures to one program and another set of measures to another program. So there certainly has been a lot of work in alignment. Um, that being said, our work is not done. And I would strongly encourage, as different models, et cetera, come out, the um, comment period associated with various regulations is always an important avenue to be able to provide perspectives, um, to be able to have, have your perspective heard as we're continuing to, to work on this. Great. Our next question is coming on uh, over the phone as well. This is for Lauren Austin in Chicago, Illinois. Lauren, your line's open. Lauren? All right, well, then we will go to a question submitted online. This is from Beverly Davis in Urbandale, Iowa. Uh, how will the delay of the so-called Cadillac tax affect employers? Alternatively, once, imp once implemented, what impact will it have on employer-sponsored health benefits? Uh, thank you for that question. I think, you know, the, the purpose of the Cadillac tax really is to encourage um, again, along the overall vision of um, our healthcare system, to really encourage more efficiency and, th and thoughtfulness in how health plans are designed. Um, and so, you know, I think as in particular, a lot of large employers and employer-sponsored plans are working through the Learning and Action Network and other avenues to try to think about how they're providing their health benefits to really encourage quality and to try to bend the cost curve. I think a lot of that work is already ongoing um, and being done so in a thoughtful manner. And so, you know, certainly when the Cadillac tax goes into effect, then there will be like an added you know, incentive about, you know, thinking about the way that health plans are designed. But I do think that a lot of that work is happening already, um, again, through things like the Learning and Action Network. There's even an employer collaborative there. And so my hope and um, is that, we'll all continue to work together to these common goals. Great, thank you. We have time for two more questions. Um, the next question is going to come from Laddie Fitzgerald in Georgia. Laddie, your line is open. Good afternoon. Um, my question is, actually, I'm an agent. Um, and I've been doing insurance for about 15 years or so. Um, when a lot of the carriers had announced that they were not paying agents for commissions during SEP, um, I know there was some pushback on, on our side of the house. I want to know what um, what are we doing or what is HHS um, doing to try to help resolve this matter because I do know that, um, that when the carriers negotiate the contracts, or I guess to be a part of it, that they're negotiating for the whole year, not for a portion of the year. Um, so I want to kind of know what's, what's um, being helped to resolve that issue. Thank you for um, raising that issue. This is certainly something that we are um, aware of and that we are looking into. I mean, I think 
I'm stating the obvious that you know, agents and brokers play a very important role in helping people to get health care. And as Secretary Burwell mentioned, you know, the goal of what we do is to improve access, affordability, and quality. And so this is something that we're continuing to look into. Great, thank you. And our last question was submitted online. This is from Angie Fontaine in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I would like to know what are the plans of the federal government in regards to mental health care and general preventions in that matter? Um, so essentially, what is the federal government planning on doing around trying to increase uh, coverage of mental health care? Thank you for um, raising that point, because I think it's a very important one. Certainly, better integration of behavioral health um, with primary care is a huge priority. And also, um, mental health parity, so ensuring that health plans um, cover mental health services to the same degree that they cover um, other health services are very important. Um, particularly with the um, better integration of behavioral health and primary care, uh, this is an area of particular focus in our delivery system reform efforts. And just two examples that I can give. One is our behavioral health clinic model that is being rolled out where organizations can apply for funding through a CMMI demonstration. And one of the requirements for getting this grant money is that there is more direct um, integration of behavioral health and uh, primary care um, in these clinics. Uh, a second example is we recently released our proposed regulations for uh, MACRA, which is the um, new way that physicians are going to be paid in Medicare Part B. And as part of that, one of the um, clinical improvement activities that physicians can report to try to become eligible for a payment bonus is better integration of behavioral health with uh, medical health. So those are just two examples of the kinds of work that we're doing in this area. And I would just like to say, I know that was our last question, um, I really want to thank everyone because I think the breadth of the questions that you have asked on this call is probably one of the broadest of stakeholder calls that I've been on. And I think it's really fantastic that all of you are so engaged um, in healthcare in such a diverse way with all of the different ways in which you're looking at it. And it's very helpful for all of us as we're trying to work with you to improve um, the health care that we provide to your employees. So I really want to thank you for all the work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Doctor. We really appreciate your time and the Secretary's time. And just for everyone today, again, thank you. That's all we have time for today. I know that there were a number of questions and comments we did not get to. If you haven't yet, please send your question to info at businessfwd.org, and we'll help, help you get an answer or connect you to the appropriate agency. Please check your email for a post-event survey. We always seek your input to improve our programming. We would appreciate your feedback. Again, a big thank you to Secretary Burwell and to Dr. Saeb Shamani and to everyone who joined. I hope you all have a great day. Thank you so much, Doctor. No problem. Take care, everyone.